The world needs to hear the message of true faith, hope, and love. It is a message that was sounded forth long ago by the church in Thessalonica, and its echo continues to ring out loud and clear from faithful churches. Join Dr. Andy Brown to see why Paul called this church the model church and what makes their message so loud. This is Hearing is Believing. Tommy was born with a a hearing impairment, and all of his life he had trouble hearing. Matter of factly, the coaches, when he played for the Noonan Cougars, the coaches would stomp their feet so that Tommy would uh, pay attention to what the coaches were saying. But Tommy read lips, and uh, if you had a beard or uh, especially a mask, there was just no way for Tommy to communicate with you. And, but Tommy carried this burden of not being able to hear all the way into his 50s. And finally, because of God's common grace and technology, had advanced so far to... Uh, impress upon Tommy the desire to get a cochlear implant. Now, my dad has a cochlear implant, so I'm a little familiar with what happens with a cochlear implant, but they have to disconnect what makes it, they have to bore a hole in your head, disconnect what makes your hearing, and then that has to heal. And after that period of healing, then they come in and they reconnect that. And so Tommy went over to his, uh, his sister's home, and his sister's battling cancer at the time, and he wanted to share this newfound joy that he had with her, and so he left the room, and he asked his sister to say something. And he repeated back everything that his sister said for the first time in the other room. He heard, uh, he heard the wind for the first time. Imagine never hearing the wind Tommy also said that he heard the sound of running water. Never heard the sound of running water. But all of a sudden, because of this technology and God's common grace, he can. He had never heard running water before, but now he hears it loud and clear. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today, is I want to talk to you today about a loud and clear faith. If you have your Bible here this morning, will you join us in our study of 1 Thessalonians. And last week, we looked at verse 1 as an introduction, and I brought a quote from one of my favorite church history guys, Augustine. Or some people say Augustine, but uh, if you're right, you'll say Augustine. But anyway, uh, Augustine, he, remember in his book, The City of God, he compared the joy that Christ gives to an eye receiving light for the first time. The joy that Christ gives is like the eye receiving light for the first time. But there's one little phrase in our text this morning, and we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 10. And there's one little word that is only used once in the entire New Testament. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you see a word that's used repeated... Or you see a word that's not used often. Those two things are clues that there's something special going on. Look, for example, at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord, and here's our word, sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. 
Now, this passage really shows us, as we're going to read it in just a minute, this passage shows us that this church in Thessalonica, they're, they're being put forward as a model church. Now, that's quite an honor, I'd say. That's quite an honor to be known as the church that others are to model themselves after. Oh, to our Lord that First Baptist Starkville would be that type of church. That other churches would look and say, you know, whatever's going on there, whatever makes those particular people who they are, we won't end on that. Now, let me make something clear. It's one thing for us to think that about ourselves because we're the first Baptist, you know. It's one thing for us to think that way. It's quite another thing for others to say that about us. That makes sense? It's quite another thing for uh, our our church to be known to have the applause of heaven so that others can say, imitate what's going on there. In other words, oh to God that First Baptist Church of Starkville would be simply a faithful church. It was John Stott, and I believe that he's right. He said this, if every church had been faithful, the world would long ago have been evangelized. If every church would have been faithful, the world long ago would have been evangelized. And so I want to direct your attention on this loud and clear faith, this faith that sounds forth. And so to do that, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. And I'll read the entire first chapter this morning. Hear the word of our Lord. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, in this moment, we simply pause after hearing your inerrant word just to say thank you. And now, Father, we pray that you would anoint this time and be among us in a special manifest way through your Spirit so that we may see the Son and give glory to the Father. And all of God's people say, Amen. 
So what I want to do this morning, very simply, is I want to give you three principles. Three principles. And there again, I hope that you're taking notes. If you've not gone out and bought that notebook yet, please do that. Bring your pen, bring your pencil. Even a pencil is better than your memory, I promise you. So uh, hopefully you'll have a chance to write these down. I, we labor to put them on the screen. Thank you so much for uh, Josh Rogers, who takes the effort and puts these on the screen for you. So take advantage of it and write these down. Three principles about the kind of faith that rings loud and clear. Three principles about the kind of faith that rings out loud and clear. Number one, loud and clear faith is a gift of God. Loud and clear faith is a gift of God. Now, look at the way these Thessalonians are introduced. Verse 1, if you remember, it says that they are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what do we see right after that? He says grace and peace to them. But verse 2, right after we learn that they are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then we see Paul mentioning his thanks for them to God. In other words, here's the point, I believe. Without, the, without God, the Thessalonian church would not exist. Without God, First Baptist Starkville would not exist. It's not because of how much money you give, not because of how much money you gave. It's not because of who the preacher is or was. It's not because of who sings the best or who doesn't sing. It's not because of any of those things. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, our church would not exist. God is the founder and the perfecter of their faith, and He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And that's important. He's not just the perfecter. He's not just the finisher. Listen, God is the starter of your faith. He's the object of your faith, but He's also the one in who started your faith. He began the work of the church, not simply when Jesus came, but when He spoke the world into existence. He began the work of the church when He spoke the world into existence. And in some mysterious way, the foundation of the church began then. You say, what do you mean? I thought the church didn't exist until uh, on the day of Pentecost. And then I say, absolutely right. But think about this. Isn't what Paul says in the Ephesians. Remember what he says in the Ephesians? He says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ being the cornerstone. So the church is built upon the foundation of uh, the apostles and the prophets, with Christ being the cornerstone. Now, let's just do a little thinking. When did the apostles exist? What does it take to be an apostle? You may hear some people call themselves apostles, to which you just need to simply say, well, we're all in some sense, uh, we have an apostolic ministry of carrying forth this message, but I'm not an apostle. And the reason that I'm not an apostle is because I have never with my two eyes seen the resurrected Christ. And so I just gave away the answer, didn't I? What does it mean to be an apostle? It means, or when did the apostles come to be? They came after the resurrection. Well, okay, well, what about the prophets? When did they exist? Well, the prophets existed. That's a reference back to the Old Testament. Do you remember what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 17 when Paul came to the Thessalonians? He says that he reasoned in the synagogue uh, of the Jews for three Sabbaths. 
proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And then he said, and from the Old Testament, he said, not only are these things true, necessary for Christ to die and rise, but this Jesus is the Christ. And so in other words, in other words, Christ, listen to this statement, Christ is a crucified and risen Savior according to the Scriptures. This is why the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness is not the saving Jesus, because He's not the Jesus of the Scriptures, the Old Testament. This is why the Jesus of Mormonism is not the saving Jesus, because He's not the Jesus according to the Scriptures, according to the Old Testament. And listen to this statement carefully. Listen carefully. Are you listening? Say amen. The Old Testament proclaims, listen, proclaims, not just prophesies, not just points to, but the Old Testament proclaims a crucified and risen Christ. And so the Old Testament is Christian Scripture. But the key phrase that lets us in on the fact that God is the originator of our faith is this one phrase that we see here in verse 4. Look at what it says here. He has chosen you. So Paul has a message to this church. And this church is facing persecution. They're battered. They're bruised through the trials of affliction. And what he does, that message that he wants to bring them, is the greatest message that he could give them. They are the elect of God. They are chosen of Him. Now you say, what on earth does that mean? God chose them? Well, that's what it says, doesn't it? In verse 4, it says that He has, has, in the past tense, chosen you. And you say, well, why on earth did God choose them? I don't have any idea. It was simply His choice of them. Think about this. The same God who chose Israel out of all the other nations of the world, he chose to save these Thessalonians. And He chose to save me. And He chose to save you. You say, well, what does God's choice mean? What does all that mean? Because there's so much baggage that's associated with that term. Here's what it means. God's choice, listen, means He purposefully moved His love towards us. God's choice of you means that He, with intention, moved His love, His grace, His affection towards you. Why on earth did He do that? Listen to me carefully. Simply because He wanted to. I remember I was in Israel one time and there was a man who was praying at the, at the western wall or the wailing wall. And I thought, with my tour guide, I asked a very intelligent question. The guy was performing a prayer on the wall, and, and I asked the question. I said uh, to my tour guide, I said, what's he praying? Because I thought, in my ignorance, that I thought that it was uh, some kind of uh, traditional prayer, perhaps, that he was reciting. But my tour guide looked at me in his Israeli accent, and he said, who knows what's in the heart of a man? Friends, who knows what's in the heart of God? Well, His choice of you tells us a little bit of that answer. 
What was in the heart of God? You were. I was. You say, when was I in the heart of God? God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And that's the message of comfort that Paul wants to give this, this Thessalonian, Thessalonian church. He gives them this word of comfort that God has chosen you. God tells his people in Deuteronomy, listen to what he says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Listen to this. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping His oath that He swore to your fathers. Now let me be very transparent with you. I don't understand all that there is to understand about God's choice of me. But here's what I know. And this is what I want you to know this morning. God loves me and He loves you with an everlasting love. And that everlasting love that God loves you with, it means that you are secure. I don't presume on His love. Instead, I'm assured of His love. I'm humbled by His love. And here's what I realize. If God can love me, if He can save a wretch like me, if He can pursue and chase me, He can pursue and chase anybody. He can pursue and chase, as we should say in the Scriptures, whosoever. God loves you. And He sees you as the apple of His eye. He sees you as His treasured possession. You say, why? To which I, I just simply say, I'm not sure. And frankly, I don't have to know. But here's what I know. He loves me. He loves you. He loves us. He sought us and He bought us with His redeeming love. When we didn't consider Him, He considered us. When we were far, when, we, when He was far from our minds, we were near to His. For we know, brothers, verse 4, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Coming face to face with the facts of God's love, realizing the heights and depths of His love for you, that He pursued you, that He has loved you with an everlasting love, inevitably, if you really grasp it, it will inevitably change you. Because when you realize that the depths of God's love for you means Calvary's cross, that's how much He loved you. He stretched out His arms and He died for you. When you realize that, then you'll experience what true love means. Love means a God creating, means a God pursuing, a God redeeming, and a God making all things new. Love means a God inviting you to be called one of His sons, one of His daughters. 
one of His children. And when you begin to realize God's love for you, then you will understand that there is no other substitute for any satisfaction other than everything that Jesus offers. No other substitute for your soul will do other than Jesus, only Jesus. He is not only the object of our faith. Listen, He's not only the destination of our faith. He is the founder of our faith because He gives us something to believe in. Notice the emphasis of the text. Paul makes it clear that the Thessalonians, their hope is in God. He is their foundation. Look at that. He said He chose them. He is their reason for endurance. It says that they receive the Word um, it, with joy and affliction. And it says He is their hope. They are waiting for Jesus. If we're to have a faith that sounds loud and clear to this world... We have to have the assurance that God is not only the perfecter of our faith, but God is the founder of our faith. So as we move ahead then, we will move ahead in confidence that He chose us simply because He loves us, and He loves us because He chose us. And God's choice of us gives us absolute confidence, and that's what it's all about. It's about you having confidence. Salvation doesn't depend upon us. Instead, it's God's will to save you, and it's God's will to save whosoever. Don't misunderstand. The love of God is not to be presumed upon. Instead, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, and a genuine understanding of His choice of you will lead you to good works. Look at what the Bible says. It says that we know that you are loved by God, that He has chosen you because, here's the reason, we know because of what happened after the Word came to you. What happened? It says the Word, because our gospel came to you not only in Word, but in power and with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's how we know. So a genuine understanding of His choice leads you to good works. We're not saved by works, but a saving faith is a faith that works. Look at the text, verse 3. Your work of faith. Look at verse 6. You became imitators. Verse 7. You became an example. Verse 9 and verse 10. Look at what they did. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. Number 2. Loud and clear faith. Number 2. Not only is it a gift of God, number two, loud and clear faith labors with love. The love of God compels us, Paul would say to the Corinthians. And let me just say this. No one left to themselves, if they're honest, no one left to themselves would serve Jesus. Not truly serve Jesus. No one left to themselves would serve Jesus. Because serving Jesus means the greatest reward. But serving Jesus inevitably brings difficulty. Faith in Jesus is not in season right now. It's not popular to hold to Christian values in our country. It's not popular. Fidelity to Christianity is not in vogue right now. And if you're paying attention to the headlines, then that point is going to become increasingly clear as we continue down this journey. Jesus said, though, remember this, 
Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Jesus said, remember, in this world you're going to have trouble. Look at what happens. Paul noticed what happened in Thessalonica. Look at verse 6. You receive the word. Look, what's that phrase there? In much affliction. They received it, but how did they receive it? In much affliction. Suffering. And suffering. Suffering is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We could say it this way. We are most like Jesus when we suffer. To be in the world, but not of the world. To be strangers and aliens in lands, even lands that we love. But we're still sojourners, strangers and aliens, even if we're at home. Notice verse 9. We declare the things that we once held dear as idols compared to the living and true God. And it's interesting that when the world considers our faith, they often consider the faith that we have in Jesus as nothing more than a myth, nothing more than a fairy tale, nothing more as something that's untrue. And the things that we once held dear are seen as idols. They're seen as having no power. They're seen as worthless. And this great reversal all comes because you have faith in Jesus. We realize what true love is when we experience the love of Jesus. We learn what true joy is when we experience the joy of the Lord. We learn what true delight is when we learn to delight in the Lord. We learn what true security is when we are secure in His Love. We learn true satisfaction, true contentment, and everything else as we see the shadows of this world disappear by the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Now pay attention. Don't miss this. There is a negative direction to faith in Jesus, a turning from. And, but there's also a positive direction, a turning towards. And don't miss this. The world often considers the negative without the positive. The negative turning away without the positive turning towards. Yes, we are turning away from idols, the Bible says. Yes, we are turning away from the flimsy veneer that the world puts up as a sure foundation that promises to bring satisfaction. We learn that that uh, foundation that they give us is nothing more than a foundation like a stack of cards. But now that our blinded eyes see... Now that our deaf ears have heard, now that Jesus has caused us to be born again, we learn what brings true satisfaction and joy. And the world doesn't understand this. They're still stuck in the veneer. They're still stuck in the house of cards. The world doesn't understand this, and so what do they do? They come and they persecute. They persecute things that they don't understand. Yes, we will have trouble. But listen, the trouble that you and I experience as Christians is only temporary. Joy is coming. And the joy that the Lord gives, that lasts forever. That veneer that the world puts up as a sure foundation, that's not going to last. It's going to crumble. Look at what the Bible says here, this phrase in verse 10, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is wrath that is coming, but not because of those who follow Jesus. The lot for us has fallen in pleasant places because the lot for him did not fall in pleasant places. 
We are in Him. He has secured salvation for us by taking the wrath of God. Again, we are more like Jesus when we suffer, and that's okay with us. You say, why is that okay? The reason we're content to suffer is one word, and that one word is love. This same Jesus who said, don't be surprised that the world hates you, is the same Jesus who said, remember that it hated me first. This same Jesus who said, in this world you will have trouble, is this same Jesus who said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This same Paul who noticed the suffering of the Thessalonians was the same who said, listen, you receive the word. Look at verse 6. You receive the word in much affliction, but that's not all that he says. Look at what's next. The positive. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. Do you want the joy of the Holy Spirit? You've got to be able to take the suffering that comes with it. Now, what's greater, joy or suffering? Well, I'll tell you what's greater. Joy is greater. Just imagine Paul and Silas singing in the prison. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can say, you know, here's a little affliction that the world has cast at you. You know what? But I'm going to give you true joy. I'm going to give you great joy. Joy. God has given us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit who draws us near even as we labor through the storm. And the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, this faith that we have in Jesus, this loud and clear faith is unquenchable. It's unstoppable. And there are others that are around us who are longing for reality, who are longing for joy, who are longing to see the, uh, see that the hope that we have in the world of this love that we have for Jesus. They're longing to see this. And it's our responsibility to show it to them. I love the Lord of the Rings. I don't know if that's come out yet, but it, it probably will, that I'm a fan of the Lord of the Rings. And there's this scene in the movie in particular that I'm thinking of in The Return of the King where Gandalf... Anyone in a Lord of the Rings fan? Anybody? So that I'm not alone here? Okay, three. That's fantastic. So I am alone here. Good. All right. So anyway, well, let me tell you about it. I don't want to ruin it for you. But there's this scene in the movie where uh, Gandalf and Pippin... Uh, they're trying to set on a mission to light the beacons to call for help. It's the last battle, and they're calling for help. And uh, when Pippin successfully lights the beacon of Amundine, Gandalf says this. I love this. He says, after he sees the fires burning, he says, hope is kindled. And all across Middle-earth, light shone in darkness. The world throws all that it can at us. I'm going to take away your tax credit. I'm going to tell you that you can't say those words. I'm going to put you in prison. The world thinks that it can snuff the message of Christ out by suffering. But listen to the power of our God. It's through suffering that our God takes what was intended for evil just like He did for Joseph and turns it for good. He takes the suffering and He refines it. And He takes that and through that refining fire He shows the world our hope. And it's in those moments when we are most like Jesus, when we say, here I'm standing on the promises that cannot fail. It's then 
that we reveal our hope is not in this world, but it's in a world that's coming. In a world that Jesus is bringing near. Did you know, by the way, I didn't mention this to you last week, but that's the, one of the number one themes in the book of Thessalonians is the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see what Paul's doing? Even from the first century. I love when the disciples are looking as Jesus is ascending up. Is it now this time? Is it now this time? And here in Thessalonians, Paul is saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Are we saying the same thing? Jesus is coming. Did you know that Jesus is coming is more sure than the sun coming up tomorrow? Or going down tonight? Or you making it to lunch? Or me finishing before lunch? It's more sure than that. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Number three, loud and clear faith is clearest when it hopes in Christ. When it hopes in Christ. What kind of hope do we have in Jesus The kind of hope that we have in Jesus is a hope in a king who is coming from heaven. A king who was raised from the dead. In other words, what does that mean? It means that He entered into the depths of our depravity. He took the penalty that was reserved for us. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. And He who knew no sin became sin, and He tasted death for all. He took the sting from death. He took victory from death. And from death, don't miss this, from death, He was raised to life. And as Malachi says, He rose with healing in His wings. There is a glorious expectation, or an inglorious expectation for wrath for this world. But for those who God loves the expectation is joy joy that's what you have to look forward to joy and the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came into this world reserved for wrath and bore the wrath of God for us who believe those whom he chose those whom He loves. He came to a depraved and decaying world as life and light. Death could not keep Christ in His grip. Instead, Christ broke the grip of death. And His delivery from death means that He will deliver all of those who trust in Him through death. In other words... We're going to come out of death. We're going to come out on the other other side of things alive. And not just alive, but with joy. All because of Jesus, who is our hope. This is the message the world needs. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. The message that the world needs is the message that makes us who we are. Faith, hope, and love. And my prayer for you this morning, for me this morning, 
is may God cause our message to be heard in this world loud and clear. Father in heaven, we love you. And we are so grateful for the way that you love us. Thank you that you chose us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we don't understand all the ins and outs to what that means, but we just simply pause right now, silence our minds, and just say thank you. Father, would you let our faith sound forth from Starkville to the rest of Mississippi and all around the world that the world may know not only do we belong to Jesus, but that our hope is in Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.